You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under, a bushel, under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've, not, I've come not to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. May these words speak to us this morning, our, oh God, may they as they are, be your words. Share your hopes with us through the words of my mouth and the meditation on our hearts. Mold us and shape us that we might go out into the world with a renewed sense of hope and faith that you are exactly who you say you are. In Christ we pray. Amen. Who are we? What are we to do? According to New Testament professor Ronald Allen in Indianapolis, these are the two questions that sit at the heart of the passage we just read a second ago. Who are we? What are we to do? They're the kind of questions that pop up in life from time to time, aren't they? starts off as early at least when our kids enter high school. As soon as our young people enter high school, we barrage them with questions and statements of this nature. You better, better start figuring out who you are so that you know what you're going to do with your life so that you can get the right degree path and then enter the right school. Counselors say it, teachers say it, parents say it. So much so that often my worry is that our young people will feel like failures if they don't come up with a ready answer to what seems like the most important question of the year. Who are we? What are we to do? The next time those questions often come up are right after college, you know, when you're just kind of setting out. Or if you don't go to college, when you're setting out on a career path or a job that's going to be your job maybe for a good long while. And you start asking those questions again, who am I? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Then again, much later, in the middle of life, those questions come up again. Don't ask me why I know that. 
you start to realize that your life is in a settled place. It's in a, it's, it's in a place. It kind of is what it's going to be. And those questions come up again. You start to wonder if this is all there is to life. Is there more to my life than just this? Who am I? What am I to do? Questions that come up from time to time throughout the course of our lives. Maybe you're asking those very questions right now. Maybe you are, are looking out at the world and wondering about your place in it. Maybe you're looking out at the world and, and you don't like what you see, particularly because of the events that's happened this week and all that's gone on. Maybe you're looking at that world and are just disgusted and asking yourself, who am I in this world? What can I do about it? It's questions that come up from time to time. It's the kind of questions that Jesus was answering when he stepped up to preach his sermon. These are the same questions, in fact, that the Jewish people were asking they were looking out at their world and wondering about their place in it, what they can do about it. They were arguing, in fact, over these types of questions. And Jesus steps up to preach his sermon. There are all kinds of things going on in Jesus' sermon. In fact, one scholar, Edwin Von Driel, has a suggestion. He says, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is not just some expression of general ethics, but is instead an intervention in a heated debate concerning the political and religious direction Israel was going to take. He goes on to say that the focus of their debate was on the occupation of Israel's land by the Roman Empire, the wider context being that they had been part of Gentile empires since the Babylonian exile. In other words, ever since the reign of kings had began with King David had come to an end, the Jewish people had been occupied by one foreign power after another. And they were asking themselves, who are we? What are we to do? Who are we in this world? What can we do about it? They came up with all kinds of different answers. On one hand, you had the Sadducees which was a group of the Jewish people that did not believe there was such a thing as a resurrection. They were sad, you see. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> after the first service when I said that, somebody came up to me after and said, okay, if you're now going to start with bad pastor jokes, I may be done. <laughs> But you had the Sadducees, and their answer was to be in, to work with the Roman Empire, to collaborate with them, to, to blend in 
as much as possible. So that was one extreme. The other extreme was the zealots. Now, the zealots got their name because they were ready to fight. They were ready to pick up their swords and storm the gates and do all they could to run the Romans out of town on a rail. They were ready for blood, the zealots. So you had these two extremes, and then somewhere in the middle you had the Pharisees, and the Pharisees weren't all of one mind. Some of the Pharisees were ready to fight. Others, the bulk of them, I would assume, understood and knew that resistance was a futile effort, that they would not win against the Roman Empire. So their answer was to to separate themselves as much as they could from the world and live a life of righteousness under the study of the Word of God. That was their answer. Each group had their own answers. Each group thought their answer was the right answer, and therefore everyone else had the wrong answer. And they wanted nothing to do with one another. Sound familiar? In our divided world, all the tribes and factions and groups, we each think we have the right answer. Therefore, everyone else must have the wrong answer. And we want nothing to do with one another. Who are we? What are we to do? It's that kind of world that Jesus walked into many years ago, not unlike the world in which we live today. He walked in and he preached this sermon. He walked in and he gave them a sermon that, interestingly enough, took no one's side. On the one hand, he disagreed with the the zealots' approach. Don't hate your enemy, he said. Love your enemy, says that later on in the sermon. Love your enemy. Pray for them. Go so far as to be generous towards them. You believe that? On the other hand, he also disagreed with the Pharisees. That's why he said in our reading today, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes if you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees, in secluding themselves and in a way and, and being, uh, living that life of righteousness as they put it, they were secluded from the world in that sense and they were waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come one day. And here Jesus is saying, your, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes. Why would he say that? He's not dismissing study. He is in fact saying that if All you do is seclude yourself and study. That's not enough 
If all you do is exclude yourself as if you're waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come someday down the road, I have news for you. The kingdom of heaven is right here and now. It's not some future thing. You need to be part of it. Be part of the kingdom of heaven here and now. That's why he said that. In a world that seemed to be turning in on itself, Jesus shows up in an unexpected way, challenges us to live an unexpected life. Rather than pulling out our sword and storming the gates, Jesus calls upon us to turn our hatred into love, to turn our posture into prayer. Rather than seclude ourselves off from the world simply to study God's Word, study Scripture, Jesus invites us, calls upon us to stand up and get back out into that world. Don't wait for the kingdom to come. Be part of it. Do something good, something hope-filled, something, dare I say it, that you think Jesus might do. Oh, but I'm just one person, you might say, right? Isn't that what we always say? If we don't say it, we think it. I'm just one person. What difference can one person make? One person can't make all that much difference at all, really, can they? Wrong. That's just flat wrong. And here's how I know. A number of years ago, my wife and I took our kids to Carlsbad Cavern in New Mexico. And part of the deal was we got one of those extra little packages, you know, where they take you away from the general public down into the deeper parts of the cave, you know, so, so that you can feel special. So we were part of that group, and we went down into there, and we went as far as we could go, right, into the deep, deep part. And they asked us to sit down and make ourselves comfortable because we're going to be sitting for a while. Some of you have done this if you've done a cave. And then they turned off the lights. And we're sitting there with what felt like an eternity, you know, you're starting to get a little anxious, and your eyes, your eyes are constantly trying to adjust to this new environment and finally one of the guides after a little time went by said to us said your eyes are never going to adjust because there is no light to adjust to we are in 100% complete darkness in fact you may think you do see things because your brain wants you to see things so much it's going to play tricks on you if you hold your hand in front of your face your brain is going to say that you see a hand but you really can't there we were in the darkness, each coming up with our own answers, thinking we had the right answer, thinking we could see when we really couldn't. And that's when one of the guides lit a match, just one match. And it was as if the entire cavern, this huge space, filled with light from this one 
seemingly insignificant little light. That's how precious your life is to this world. Your one seemingly insignificant little life. Every action makes a difference no matter how small. It can light up a room. Who are we? We are children of light. What are we to do? We are to love in ways we never thought we could. We are to pray for people we never thought we would ever pray for. We are to give more than we ever thought possible. We are to live the unexpected life. Amen.